Today is Thursday, July 27th, 2023. This is Quick Start from CBN News. I'm Dan Andros. A startling admission at that UFO hearing yesterday. We'll have that top story and more on today's podcast where we bring you news from a Christian perspective. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't. Leave a rating, all that good stuff. You can email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Joining me to get through the news of the Cray as we're doing each and every weekday, bright and early, 7 a.m., Billy Hallowell, Trey Gons Phillips, join me now. What's up, fellas? It's Friday, no. Junior. Yeah, it is. And there aren't two faces I would want to see this early other than yours. So I'm so excited. It's a fact well, check. False. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> you're, four Pinocchios. You have a wife and two two children. You would probably much rather see their yeah. faces than ours. I hope. One would hope. They're still sleeping probably because they're sane people. We got a lot to get to, as always, in a short amount of time. But what do we have coming up on The Focus, Billy? We've got a Christian pastor who has locked himself up in a prayer room for months now. And we're going to get into why he's done that and what he's hoping God does through his obedience. I'm not going to lie. That sounds terrifying. That doesn't sound (laughs) like a good time. When you're locking yourself in your prayer room until crime is lowered, I went to a never-ending time that you could be in there. It could be a long time. Yeah. That is true. But uh, interesting story. I'm looking forward to the details on that. Also on the main thing, we've got an ex-LGBT activist who's battling for freedom in court after sharing his journey from a gay lifestyle into following Christ and now is facing potential prison time for that. That'll be on the main thing. But first, we're going to get through the news here in 90 seconds. The Hunter Biden saga continues. There was a whole lot of confusion yesterday over his plea deal, which fell apart during his first court appearance. He was expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax counts to avoid jail time on a felony gun charge. And the judge questioned prosecutors about the investigation and the possibility of future charges. Prosecutors confirmed Hunter Biden is under active investigation They didn't specify the details, although one did answer that, yes, it could be potentially something in relation to being a foreign agent, but that detail is still not confirmed. Hunter Biden failed to pay between $1.1 million and $1.5 million in taxes before the legal deadlines. And yesterday, the House Oversight Committee held a UFO hearing. Former military intelligence officer David Grush claimed Executive branch agencies have withheld info about UAPs or UFOs for years and witnesses demanded more transparency, citing inadequate reporting systems and stigma for those seeking answers. Those are just some of today's top headlines. You can check out those stories and more over at CBNNews.com. Fellas, I wanted to play this clip here from Representative Nancy Mace from the UFO hearing yesterday. Listen to this answer about the non-human biologics they found. Listen to this. Do you believe our government has made contact with intelligent extraterrestrials? Something I can't discuss in public setting. Um, Okay, I can't ask when you think this occurred. (laughs) If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, 
were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. That little tidbit right there has people online in a tizzy talking about the non-human biologics, where which could mean a lot of things. Don't know specifically what the biologic is that he's referring to. As was with a lot of this hearing, it was, we'll talk about this at a skiff later on outside of the public. Interesting thing there. What do you guys think of all the noise it's making online? You know, I, I think this is intriguing that people want so badly in some sectors for this to be true, that there yeah. are aliens roaming, that they are out there. And it's happening. It's hard to ignore the fact that it's happening while we're moving away from God. There was just the survey out about the fact mm -hmm. that, you know, 74% of people believe in God now down from 90%. And so people are moving from God, away from God, but they're more likely seemingly to believe that there are aliens roaming about. And that's really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what to make of that outside of, you know, we want to believe in something bigger. And I think even with all of that chaos going on, people are still looking for something bigger and beyond them. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting um, comparison there between belief in God and belief in potential extraterrestrial life. And I think some of it is, or a lot of it is that extraterrestrial life is not offensive to our human sensibilities, right? We're still in charge. We're still in control. We still have final authority because presumably we're more intelligent and more developed uh, than a primitive alien life. Uh, but the idea of a God, a God is a sovereign. Uh, he's a sovereign entity. He's the one who's charting our, our destiny in the course of, of, human existence, that's offensive to us because we have to put our pride aside, humble ourselves and recognize there's a Lord that's over us. So I think that's probably why we're people are willing to entertain one uh, and they're completely closed off to the others because we're blinded by our own sin, I think, in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point uh, about how people are willing to believe in aliens, but not God, there's an interesting clip. One of my favorite clips of all time is from Ben Stein in his documentary uh, about intelligent design. And he's interviewing Richard Dawkins and he asks him about the origins of life, etc. And Dawkins is willing to go on this total train of, well, it could have been some aliens that came down here. They, they had advanced evolutionary by, you know, um, processes and then they just seeded life here on the planet and left he was totally willing to believe that and it's just it's just wild that that's something that atheists and unbelievers allow themselves to believe but then shield the truth of god in the midst of that so crazy stuff but we're gonna see what if this interestingly it's very bipartisan aoc was in this hearing matt gates was in this hearing all Asking similar questions, nobody bickering. I put a poll out there on Twitter to see what the over-under is before this turns political. I gave it a couple months because it's pretty fresh right now and no one knows how to politicize it yet. But somebody's going somebody's gonna to trip that wire and all of a sudden it's going to be a left-right thing. They do it to everything else. Yeah, yeah. You're giving it a The alien gender debate starts. I feel like a couple months you're being very generous, Andros. It's only because they don't know how yet. It's, it's, it's going to take a little while for someone to have the Archduke Ferdinand moment where they <laughs> trigger the whole thing into, into politics. I, so it could happen sooner. It'll I just, be AOC. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. That remains <laughs> to be seen, but it, it could be. I wouldn't be shocked. 
All right, let's head over to the focus story now. A Christian pastor has locked himself inside a prayer room. It's been for months now. What's the story here, Billy? Yeah, this is this is a really interesting you know story. As you said, it's a Christian pastor. His name is Bishop Dwight Pate. He's a sixty-year-old, sixty-eight-year-old pastor of Church Point Ministries out in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he has locked himself up in this prayer room. And it's more of a prayer structure. It's a building um, that that he owns, and he's owned it for decades. And this is a place he goes to turn to God. He's looking for a miracle, um, looking at culture, what's happening in his community since COVID, the rise of crime and violence, and feeling very burdened by that, and really wanting to turn to the Lord. Now, this isn't just like, oh, he went and prayed for five minutes and left. He went into this structure in May, and he's staying there. I don't know the particulars if he ever leaves or what that looks like, but this is where he is it's open 24 hours a day, uh, reportedly, for people to come and pray. Others can join him. He's actually trying to give out 200,000 um, holy like holy oil, holy water. Um, he's trying to give out 200,000 vials of that and sort of bring people in uh, to bless them as well. But you know, he was interviewed by local outlets there, which I thought was interesting that, that local outlets were intrigued yeah. by this story and wanted to talk with him. And he just he spoke about the power of prayer and the importance of prayer. And, you know, regardless of what people think, I, I think it's a fascinating, you know, endeavor and a really interesting story. It is. And, you know, I was joking at the top of the show about being, because I just think being in this area like that would be not fun at all. But, I mean, from his perspective, he's viewing it as looking at and believing in the power of prayer. I don't know if this is the best way to do it. I don't know if it's I would do it, but I appreciate the commitment to prayer and the belief in the power of prayer that this pastor has. And he has a history of doing this. Can you tell us a little bit about that history? Yeah, there is a history of doing this. And as we sort of lead into that, he did say something to local affiliate WAFB TV. He was talking with them and he said, it's impossible for someone to really be, be sincere about seeking God, but not drawing other men and women to pray. And I thought that was interesting. You know, yeah. can you really seek God if you're not trying to encourage other people to engage in that relationship with him? Uh, but this particular site where he has this building, this prayer room, uh, it's a former car dealership. He bought it in 1981. So he's owned the space for a long time. Um, and it was in the mid-1990s, in 1994, that he apparently, and the term that the media are using is lock himself up. Again, I think there's more freedom than that. But yeah, yeah. Putting himself in this structure um, in 1994, because it was another difficult season of drugs and violence there in the community. And he was there for almost eight months in 1994. Um, so that was the first time that he did this. He did it again in the year 2000, in 2014. Um, and so now he's doing it again. And what was intriguing about you know, his interview and talking about this, because this prayer in this form is something he's done, he said that the only place that it can be solved, meaning these problems in the community, is in the church and the teaching and loving of God's people. And, you know, you would sort of wonder to yourself, okay, what what is making him continue to do this? He must believe that there's been an impact, right? He must believe that this has worked. And in fact, he does believe that. He talked a little bit about that in the interview as well and seeing the positive fruits of doing this in the past. Hmm. Interesting stuff for sure. What does he think is going to happen here 
and what's what what is he looking at as an end game or will the result be of all this yeah you know he talked in the past about when he first did this people thought he was crazy you know when he bought this building um he said he felt the lord calling him to do it and that god was going to make change through this particular structure, through this prayer building. And um, he wanted to launch a prayer line where people could call in 24 hours a day. Um, And he talked about the fact that he initially started preaching to 50 empty seats, you know, in this place. And they started filling up with prostitutes and drug dealers and drug addicts. And that he has seen tons of people's lives change. Uh, By the way, that ministry grew into a massive church with thousands of members. So he has seen this prayer in this building be the catalyst for something bigger. Uh, But he really believes this particular move, um, he said, there's going to be such a move of God among people. There's going to be such a move of some of the most violent people in this city. Instead of going out, killing, robbing, and hurting people, bringing peace and joy and victory and forgiveness and love. And then he told the reporter, and you're going to have to come come back out and report on it, which I love. He was like, you're going to, it's going to be so good. You're going to have to come back and do another story. That's great. I mean, look, I love when somebody has the confidence and they just feel so strongly about something that they just really believe God is going to do something great with. I think about Chip and Joanna Gaines. If you ever watch like the first episode one of the early ones where Joanna's looking at that dilapidated downtown and she's like, this is it. This is it. It's going to be this and that. Like she could just see it and like God just gave her that vision. And you you have that similar feeling here with this pastor. And I, I just love it when somebody gets that clear vision for something and then they follow through. Yeah, you know, I think it's easy to kind of, um, whenever somebody does something extreme, it's easy to kind of make fun of it and poke fun at um, at somebody doing something so kind of outlandish compared to our everyday life. Yeah. But it's a great way to form a good prayer habit, right? If you're looking at any sort of uh, information on how to make good habits or how to break bad ones, it's all about creating an atmosphere where you're most likely to do the thing that you want to start doing. So if you want to start praying more to create a physical space where you can go and do that uh, and where you can really dedicate yourself to something, that's a great way to, to really reprioritize your thinking, right? Is to make it tangible because I think it's easy to get distracted by things. And if you're creating a space where you're not distracted, where this is your number one priority, this is the only thing you do in that space. Um, I think the Lord honors that, right? The Lord honors our discipline. So more power to him. I think this is a great testimony and, um, you know, we're agreeing with him in prayer that it'll be effective. Absolutely. All right, Billy, any final thoughts before we head over to the main thing? Yeah, I think before we dismiss somebody like this, we have got, because I know people will, oh, that's crazy. He doesn't need to do that. You know, look, if somebody's done this and they bought an an old building, a used car lot, and they ended up with thousands of people coming into their church and they've seen lives changed and they're willing to do it again, I think there's something to that. It's more devotion than 99% of Christians probably are willing to show. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And look. Including myself. Yeah. And if it helped one person come to Christ, it was worth it. It was all worth it. So, all right. Good story there, Billy. Appreciate that. We're going to move over to the main thing now. And an ex-LGBT activist battled for freedom in court after sharing his journey from a gay lifestyle into following Christ. Now he's facing potential prison time in Malta due to the nation's ban on conversion therapy. Billy's got the details on this courageous fight on today's main thing. Matthew, thanks for joining me again. We wanted to pick up with your story, and there may be some people out there who don't know the story, but you are in court right now in Malta, where you live, um, and you're in court 
for a very interesting reason, could face jail time. Tell us a little bit about how we got here. What's the, what's the backstory? Right. Thank you, Billy. My pleasure. So, yeah, essentially, this goes back uh, a few months now uh, where uh, last year I was invited to uh, share my story on a program and answer questions about so-called conversion practices. And um, I mentioned an organization as well that supports men and women who leave LGBT and an organization that promotes uh, biblical sexuality. And um, it just happened that uh, a few days after, or a few weeks, very few weeks, um, three people reported me to the police in Malta claiming that I was uh, breaching chapter five, six, seven in Maldives law, which says you cannot advertise so-called conversion practices. And please note, advertising was not defined in the same law at the time, because now if you had to look it up, it inv- it, you, you can find a clause about advertising, which was added later because of this legal case, because the opposition were feeling like they couldn't find any uh, loopholes, you know, to trap us. But anyway, the point is that, you know, I had to go to the police and I exercised my right to be silent and uh, the the police press charges against me, and it's been uh, two hearings so far. We're on to the third one uh, this month, uh, on the 24th of July. And it just happens that, you know, if I'm found guilty, I could uh, spend five months in jail or I could, um, you know, pay a fine of up to 5,000 euros in Malta just just for really exercising my freedom to be a Christian and to support others who want to move away from unwanted LGBT identities or desires, etc. So yeah, that's the situation. I think the issue that people would have with this is that even if you did advertise, let's say you went on there and you said, call this number if you want to leave this lifestyle and you can get help. Isn't that your right as a human being to do that? I mean, that I think that's where this, and, and you, as far as I understand, you're the first person to be prosecuted in this way under this law, correct? Um, yes, yes. And in Malta, I, I would be. And um, and you're absolutely right, Billy. Um, it's it's our it's our right to promote uh, what we believe is is a is a lifestyle that builds families, that creates a society that is stable, you know, a, a heteronormative lifestyle, which we believe in. And we believe it's it's what has contributed to stability and peace and joy and harmony in our society. Doesn't mean that we didn't have any issues or problems, far from it. Um, but but whoever promotes heterosexuality and biblical marriage is promoting something that edifies and builds our society. So in no way uh, should it be, uh, you know, sh- should it come under attack or should it be penalized? Absolutely. Can you help people understand, because I think this is the powerful part of your story, and here you are sharing your testimony again, right? You have not shied away from doing that, even in the midst of this. Some people would say, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be silent now. I've already gone through enough here. But you're in the middle of these court proceedings. You haven't even had a chance to defend yourself yet in court. We're still hearing from you know, the, pro- the prosecution side of things. But talk a little bit about who you were before you became a Christian and who you are now, but help us understand that transformation. Sure, Billy. Uh, yeah, I I was uh, a practicing homosexual. It goes back to when I was a child and I experienced uh, confusion because of the fact that I, I 
wouldn't necessarily fit the the male stereotype, you know. So I loved music and I was creative. I loved spirituality and I found it hard to make uh, friends my age and to bond with other guys. Maybe I just wasn't in the right environment. It happens. Um, so it was easy for me to feel like I was different, like I did not belong to the world of men. You know, I guess I was looking for a male role model in my life, which I struggled to find. Um, I, I couldn't find an older man who who could understand my language, who I could look up to. Um, and so, yeah, I my, my father was a good example. I have an older brother as well, but it just didn't click for me. So I spent more time with girls and um, you know, growing up, I, I I was introduced to pornography at the age of 11, which uh, kind of, uh, you know, caused this premature sexual awakening in my life. And um, I realized that I was, you know, just really uh, romanticizing my feelings for men. And it caused a lot of confusion in my life. And in my teenage years, I tried to fit in. I tried to date girls, kiss girls, be in a relationship with 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 a woman to to kind of you know try to please my friends and to look good and and to go up the the social scale, but um, I had a lot of insecurity. Although I was in a relationship with a girl for three years, uh, sorry for three months actually, um, but I had a lot of insecurity. I felt a lot of pressure, and I did not feel like I was uh, experiencing what I was meant to experience with a with a girl. So I stopped that relationship, questioning who I was. Um, and on social media started becoming a trend to declare your sexual orientation. And I was seeing like these guys say, oh, I'm bisexual, I'm this, I'm that. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's who I am. Well, let me experiment. Let me try this and see how it feels. And I opened the door to homosexuality in my life and I was hooked. Um, and this was before I became a Christian. And, um, and then, you know, I entered into a serious relationship with a man that went on for about a year and a half. I was sexually active, but I was not happy. I did not feel like um, it was a natural thing for a man to be with a man. I felt something was not complimentary about that relationship. And it just was not satisfying, to be honest. Um, and so, yeah, it it was not a perfect relationship at all. And so, you know, then I, Christ reveals himself to me. I walk into this church in London and I'm, I'm receiving a revelation of the love of Christ. I, I find a sense of belonging in the church. I find a sense of acceptance in the church and I fall in love with Jesus. I buy my first Bible. I encounter the scriptures about homosexuality in, in uh, the, the, the New Testament and Paul's writings. And I'm thinking, oh, homosexuality is a sin. And if you do it, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so I've got some praying to do, I thought to myself. So <laughs> I started seeking God and this understanding hit me, you know, that homosexuality is not an identity. It's a practice in the Bible. And if you forsake it, if you repent from it, God does not call you a homosexual and you're no longer a homosexual. And I thought, wow, you know, it was so freeing for me knowing that I never have to come out permanently to my family and say, mom, I'm this, dad, I'm that. Like, I did not want this thing in my life. I did not want these desires. So this brought me hope. The word of God brought me joy, comfort, hope to be the man that God called me to be. And that's my story, you know, and it's been this 
process of growing in my identity in Christ. Well, Matthew, we will continue to keep up on your case. I appreciate you speaking now, continuing to share your story. Thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone. Love you loads. All right, Billy, thanks for that interview there. And you can catch the full interview. That was a portion of it. You can catch the full interview over on the CBN News YouTube channel. We'll include the link in the description to this podcast. And it's, look, it's really a fascinating interview, especially when you consider the laws that are going on there with the conversion therapy being banned and everything else that he's up against. Yeah, and and I will say to you that if five years ago you had told people on the American left that these sorts of things would be happening, they would have said you were a conspiracy theorist and you were lying. And now the boogeyman is here and it's happening there in Malta. And yeah, America's not Malta, but we are not far behind these sorts of things happening here. We we covered the story about the the guy arrested in Pennsylvania and they quickly reversed that, but that's another example. So it's it's a little terrifying, to be honest. Yeah, it's shark bumps. They, it's like they keep trying these things, it seems. And eventually, you feel like one of them, if it just keeps, they keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. The courts have held the line so far, but what happens if it doesn't? Then it's going to be, a, the floodgates are going to open up. So uh, appreciate you bringing that one. Uh, all right, we're going to have time here for one last thing on the podcast today. We're going to go to Proverbs 12, 18 which reads, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And it's it's simple, guys. So simple, but so true. It is. It's so funny because I was reading that verse literally last night. <laughs> so I'm laughing. And, you know, that, that reminder, we see it in James. We see it throughout, you know, how we speak, how we behave, how much that matters. And that we, it's the most cliche Christianese ever, but we are the only Bible some people will ever read. And it's something I have to remind myself of frequently. Yeah, it's a good reminder, too, of how how much we need to seek after wisdom and need to to seek after the, the things of the Lord, because it's when we speak in that in that vein and wisdom that that healing comes and our world is in desperate need of healing and hope. Absolutely. All right. Good spot on this Friday, Junior, to leave it. As always, get yourself on over to CBNNews.com and FaithWire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. We've almost made it. Friday's knocking at the door. We appreciate you being here. Email us, quickstartpodcast at cbn.org. Lord willing, and that creek don't rise, we shall return tomorrow with more. God bless. See you then.